uh, Barrington. Uh, good to be among you. This, past, this is a great thing here. I'm here. As mentioned, uh, Jamie's in Barrington. This time last week, we had Be Free Summersworth. That crowd came over to uh, Barrington, and we had a chance to celebrate uh, a, a bunch of what God is doing in our midst. Uh, we had a great time of worship together. We were able to catch up on uh, a Cancun trip, a missions trip that we were, took. Uh, we sent uh, four folks, uh, a team of four from Barrington, a team of four from Summersworth, went down to Cancun. They built a, a cinder block home for uh, an older couple that were living in dirt, and uh, we gave them a home to live in, and so we're working with the ministry down there, so that was exciting. And then we got to uh, pray for uh, Summersworth, which was ha appearing before uh, the zoning board uh, in town, and, uh, and so we were praying for them, and they, they got approved for a new space, and so we're stoked about that, and then we had a communion, and then we had a party, so uh, with bounce houses and all that, so pretty cool time. Uh, next month is actually, uh, keeping things in the house here, uh, next month is 15 years uh, Alton's been in existence, and so we're Look, that'll be a, a celebration time up there as well, so maybe we'll figure something out, uh, what do you want to say, with technology to say hi to one another. I don't know. That's not my gig. But uh, anyways, good to be here with you today. Hey, I wanted to take a, a time. We're going to go into a portion of scripture into Luke, but I wanted to take a circuitous route to get us there. I'm going to tell you uh, everything that some of you uh, already know, and I'll try to do it in a, a smashingly winsome way, but... The, the Bible that you have or own, and whether that's a leather-bound copy or whether that's a digital copy on your uh, machine of knowledge, uh, is the Bible that God arranged for you and I to have. And that what that is, is it is his special revelation to us. Here's a God of the universe who has always existed as, as three persons in one, and who at some time chose in, his, in the eternally past to create and to create us and uh, humanity. And he wants to communicate to us. And so what he has done is, is uh, he, he has given us this scripture, this, this Bible. And as, uh, as you know, it's in the Old Testament. I got a picture behind me. So, does it look pretty good? All right. Wow. I'll sell that to you later. I found it on Google. So the... Um, so here's the thing is, so what, the Old Testament is written in, a, in a ancient Hebrew. Uh, it's written somewhere around 1400 B.C. to 400 B.C. Uh, that, that's it's like 39 writings there that tell the story of God's involvement in humanity uh, and God's purpose and plan for humanity in the Old Testament. All the Old Testament points toward a coming son, points toward a coming savior, a redeemer, a, points toward a new covenant, a, do, a new day. And then you, you turn the, the last two-thirds over, and you go into the, the last third of the scriptures, and you come into the New Testament. There's 27 writings written sometime between 40 A.D. up to 90 or so uh, A.D. It's written in a, a, a Greek, and it's a written Koine Greek. That's common, common language, a trade language. Not, 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 that, not that academic uh, philosophy Greek, but the everyday speak Greek. That's, that's what it's written in, so that people can, can read it and understand it and hear it in their own language there. The, and so what has that done is, as you know, is the New Testament, it, it tells us about Jesus. Jesus is all that the Old Testament pointed forward to, looked forward to, prophesied about. He is the Messiah, the Anointed One. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. He, he, he's everything that was pointed for uh, toward in the Old Testament. And so God gives us the Bible, the entire Word of God that he's given to us, and, and he, has, he guided certain people 
in, in times and in places, and he wrote through their personalities. He didn't like get dictate and they go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Working through their context and personalities to give us his authoritative, divinely inspired words so that we might know who he is, what he is all about, what he wants for us, what his plans and purposes on planet Earth and within humanity are, and they all center and focus on Jesus Christ. So I'm telling you everything perhaps you already knew, already heard. One of the four writings that introduces us to Jesus uh, is of the Gospel of Luke. It's probably written around mid-60s A.D., that's what the scholars are thinking. And one of the threads that runs throughout Luke's narrative, his uh, theological history uh, of of who Jesus Christ is and uh, what Jesus Christ taught and what we need to know about Jesus, one of the threads that runs through the entirety of his gospel is Jesus eating with people. It's a wonderful thread. It's a wonderful theme that that works through there. And in that, in that setting of Jesus eating with people, we get to see Jesus. We get to hear Jesus. We get to understand Jesus a bit. We get to see what his heartbeat is, what his mission is, what his passion is, what his perspective is. And so uh, this morning we're going to go to the Gospel of And here's the question. Why was the Gospel of Luke needed anyways? They already had Mark in circulation back then. Well, here's the deal. In the day... Uh, there, first century, there's some serious questions going on within the church and among the, who the church is trying to reach in their cultures about Jesus Christ and about hearing about who Jesus is. And so one of the questions that's coming about is, how is salvation for everyone? How, what? How does that work? That's a major problem uh, that people are facing, particularly the Jewish people. They think, how is that possible? Uh, what about the Old Testament exclusive favorites, right? What, where do they work in here? And how come the church is so diverse? It's racially diverse. It's ethnically diverse. It's culturally diverse. It's, it, 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 it's, it's um, you know, it, it's, it's so much diversity in there. It's, it's uh, you have people from all over the Mediterranean basin there that are coming in. Uh, it's economically diverse. Uh, everybody gets to be a part of this as well. And then the other question is, how can Christians uh, be God's new people if they're experiencing persecution and difficulty. Because if God loves you, and if the power of God is supposed to be in your life through this resurrected Jesus Christ, then how come things aren't easy for you? How come things are difficult for you? How come you're not having your way? How come uh, you know, you're having people take things from you? You're getting fired from your jobs. You're, you're, how, why? How? How does this work anyways? Another question is, is how can we follow a leader we can't see? And so Luke's breaking this down. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus is like. Um, This is what he taught, right? All this. This is how to live to be like him. And as you take a look through all the meals that Jesus has in Luke, it will blow you away. I won't get to say this. Okay, maybe I will next time. It's this. A lot of times we think, well, if I could just go back in time, who would you like to meet? You know, you ask people, well, if you could go back in time, get in a time machine, who would you like to go see? And if you ask, you know, everybody, they go, oh, yeah, uh, whoever, Aristotle, Plato, uh, Einstein, whoever, who pops to mind? You ask Christians, church people, they go, oh, I think I'm supposed to answer Jesus. So I'll say Jesus, right? Love to go have lunch with Jesus. No, you wouldn't. Because you're going to see here when you read through the Gospels, he'll call you out, right? Breaks all protocol, right? He's not the nice guy that we made him out to be in the American church, right? 
He's straight up and real in your grill, right? He'll call you out. Knows what you're thinking. That's not the guy to have over, right? Not at all. Okay, so anyways. So let's take a look over here. We're going to go down to uh, Luke uh, uh, chapter 5, 29 through 32. Quick note uh, as we move forward here. I'm going to go as fast as I can. But uh, just to, uh, when I came in here, the coffee was not ready, was not done. So I am a quart down. So work with me here. So here's the thing. We're coming into the Luke chapter 5, uh, 29 through 32, because we see that Jesus is going to attend a big sinner dinner. And so let's take a read. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his, own, uh, in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him, with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, that's a key phrase, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So, I've just read to you a portion of scripture out of Luke, but you know, because, uh, again, I'm only telling you everything you probably already know, that there is a context uh, here, there's a bigger context, and so, we're, wherever we're, we're, whenever we're reading a portion of scripture like this one, we, we know there's a, a broader, bigger context, so we want to, you know, come on out, pan out a little bit, see the bigger picture here uh, of how this fits into the whole, there's a whole chapter going on there as well. And to help us do that, I came across some uh, images I wanted to share with you. Uh, and uh, let's see if I can get a picture here. I think I'm in the Jello mold thing. You guys ever seen one of these? No. Many of you haven't because uh, you're not from the 20th century as I am. This is a Jello mold. Look at it in all its glory. There it is. Jiggling, wiggling, shiny. These things would show up by the droves. They were the drone of the 20th century. They're always there hovering about, lurking, just show up, there they are. Uh, I got a couple more, right? This is, oh, look at that. See, what somebody found is, man, you could take jello, put it in a mold, and then you could do something else. Wonderful. And then what that is, it got creative, put fruit in it. Okay, now this sparked a major, major uh, debacle and debate back in the day. There, because the, 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 the purists were... Uh, were, were this. Uh, the, the purists, when, when Jell-O came out, uh, it sparked the big debate, as you may have known in history class, from the debate of 67, the, on whether to use just the canned fruit cocktail. That was the purists. That was the old school. But then, you know, um, you know some uh, nouveau thinkers came along, started slicing up fresh fruit. Big debacle, big debate. You know, well, what should we do here? And so, that, as you know, that was upsetting to many. Uh, I got another picture here. Oh, there it is. There it is, right there. The green jello mold. Because it's green, you can't really tell. You can't really tell what's in there. What is it? Is it celery? What, what is that? Is that a tomato or a grape? You don't know. That, that, that amps you up a little bit. You're thinking, oh, do I dare? Do I dare? And you've got to go for that. I don't know if I get another one, but I'm thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, do I have one more after this? Because I'm going to come back to this. I get one more? No? Oh, that's it. Okay, that's why. I didn't want to bring it out 
because I don't want to take you all the way back to 58 when the avant-garde crowd, uh, Jell-O-Mo crowd came out and they went crazy, oh, off the hook, through the rails, pistachio people, pistachio. You know what that does to a mold? Ugh, horrible things, horrible things. But that was a big deal, pistachio jello mold. It was showing up, and of course that was a big uh, issue back then as well. Uh, but I can go back here, this one. There we go. Here's how you eat a jello mold, right? Now, here's how you, you, you take a slice, and, and, and you have, that's your slice, right? What you don't do to a jello mold, but every child does, I mean, as adults, we get this. There, there's, you know, uh, social mores at stake here. You, 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 you see a jello mold, and it's got fruit in there, and it's tempting you. Come and get me, come and get me. And so you see that, and even as an adult, you're, you're like this. You want to reach in and grab that grape, grab that chunk of pineapple, grab that plum, whatever it is, because it's taunting you, taunting you through that glossy glaze. Come and get me, right? You see that up there, right? You feel that, that, that taunt. Well, you know, kids just go in. But what happens if I reach in at the picnic table or the church function table, the smorgasbord there, the potluck? I reach in and I grab that fruit and pull it out. What have I done? Ruined the mold. Ruined it for everyone else, right? So we don't do that. We want to slice our own slice. We understand the whole context here. And we, we're just looking at our own slice. And so when, what, you obviously see where I'm going with this, right? When you just reach into the scripture and grab a passage and pull it out because it's me, it's for me, it's for me. Ah, oh, no, 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 no. There's a context there and you must understand it in the context or you've just ruined the mold here. You don't get what's going on because you don't see the bigger picture. It's a slice that belongs to a bigger picture. That makes sense? Perfectly. There we go. All right. So here, so in Luke chapter 5, the context is, is here is that and all, as you read through Luke chapter 5, Jesus is displaying his divine authority. It's, he is the Messiah. He's doing everything the Messiah was supposed to do that's been foretold for hundreds of years in the Old Testament. And the question that's out there for everybody in that day and in our reading day in the context of Luke chapter 5 is this. How will we respond to Jesus Christ? How will we respond to Jesus? And what's going to come through there is there's only really two responses at the end. There's those with humility who can see that they have a need, they're going to openly respond to Jesus Christ. They're going to do what Jesus asked them to do. But those who have self-righteous issues, who, who, who are, who are um, stymied by their own self-righteousness, they're going to see Jesus, but they're not going to get Jesus because they don't want Jesus because he doesn't fulfill their ideal of who Jesus should be. And they're going to reject Jesus, you see, because he may be the Messiah, but he's not the Messiah they're looking for, not the Messiah they want, and that's the deal. Self-righteousness, it's a plague. So you ready to roll? Let's take a quick look through here. You guys all good? All right. If you need anybody needs to go get a cup of coffee, it's on me. So it's right back there. All right, here's the thing. Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. Uh, I'm just going to skim through this, bring you along quick. Peter and the fishing miracle. Maybe you've heard the story. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, because Jesus helped him catch all these fish, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. Why? I am a, such a sinful man. <clears throat> For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Jesus teaches a crowd. 
he challenges Peter. Let's launch out into the deep here in broad daylight and fish. It's the absolute wrong way to fish. You're a carpenter, Jesus, not a fisherman. This is what we do here. They go out and catch a huge boat loads of, uh, of fish, right? It's a miracle catch. Peter is blown away. What's his response? Blown away, falls to the feet of Jesus in worship. Why? Because in the day, in the day, you see, this is what the situation is. In the day, the common belief was that God only blesses the pious. God only blesses those people who really know all the scriptures and, and obey all the scriptures and have great outward appearances. And Peter gets, of all things, he's not that. That ain't who he is. And that Jesus and God would do this miracle and bring him into this miracle to experience this miracle is too much. Drops before Jesus and worship Jesus. That's his response because he gets, Peter gets who he is, who he is. And so that's what's going on here. Jesus, uh, he knows to the core he's not pious. He's not good. He doesn't deserve this, you see. And so he confesses his sin to Jesus. See, how we respond to Jesus is going to make all the difference in our lives. All the difference in our lives. And we think that response to Jesus is a one-time call. It's a one-time initial. It's a lifelong call, right? Daily after that. You go over there to Luke chapter 5, you turn it up a dial, you go down just a little bit, Jesus moves from there to healing a guy that is, uh, in the days, uh, he's dealing with leprosy, and he's unclean because no one can even go near this guy, right? There's parameters to how close you can even get to a person like that. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man uh, with an advanced case of leprosy. Nose is gone, fingers are gone, toes are gone. No one's around him. So how does he meet this guy? How, how, how? Goes out of his way. That's how. It's not like this guy is standing in the group, because he ain't. He's not allowed to. No one wants to have anything to do with this person or, or can be around him, right? For reasons. And when the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and, and touched him and said, I am willing. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. How did this guy respond to Jesus? This unclean guy knows he's unclean, but he believes Jesus can heal him. And he wants him to. He, he has at least some faith, some belief in Jesus on who he is. And Jesus, what does he do? He heals him and, and, and charges him, or, you know, heals him to be clean, so that he is no longer defiled, no longer an outcast. And whereas everybody kept their distance from this guy, Jesus did not. He went to him. He went to him, Right? You talk about a disposable person, uh, a marginalized person, an outcast person, right? That's this guy. And Jesus goes to him because the religious establishment of the day, they're not going to him. They're crossing the street to get the other side so they don't even be near him. There's a lot going on here. How does a leper, this leper guy who's dealing with leprosy, how does he respond to Jesus? All right? He confesses his need. And he goes to Jesus, and he asks for help. You go up there to Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26. You go, no, Chris, we've already had enough. Let's just do one more. Because now you go out along, and okay, so you, Peter, uh, this guy with leprosy, the healing and forgiving of the paralyzed man. 517, continuing on. 
Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, and they tried to take him to, uh, to G- inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. And then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. So you, we read that, right? <clears throat> You've heard this before. And uh, I bet that camera can't follow me over here to uh, get a cup of water here or so. So, oh, where was I? Yeah. So, um, so, so we read that. We read that, and it's, we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lord them down. They're real cool. But here's the thing: is like they're sitting in the, this house. They go up on top. It's a flat home, and so they're digging. They're digging. They're they're pulling whatever's up there off. It's, it's just some layers of something. They're pulling it off. So they're sitting there. Jesus is sitting there, and it's gotta look like this, right? There's stuff, debris falling. Everybody's looking around, it's falling on people's heads. It's a mess. It's a mess because you think of a guy's uh, uh, laying on a, a stretcher or a bed. It's like six feet or something like that. How big is that hole? They're not like, oh, yeah, we got two feet. <clears throat> right? No, no, it's a big honking mess. Right? Whatever they're using is just all over the place. You could think people going, oh, oh, I can't believe this. And then... They're lowering this guy, so which has got to be crazy if you think about it. They're lowering this guy. If you if you've lowered a guy, or if you're on a rope, what happens? You're doing this, right? So you can see the guy's lowering down. He's probably like, "What, what do you? It's, it's not like they just drop him, like you know, the guy's not like a ranger. Like like it's like they got lowering him down, lowering him down. It's got to be a slow. You see, it's taking up the whole time." Everybody's just watching what's going on. It's crazy. That's the scene. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, why does he think, uh, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy, because Jesus says, young man, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. And this is the cool thing, because <laughs> Luke says this. Not only can he forgive sins, but he can read your mind. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now there's two uh, characters here, um, or two points I want to make real quick, and that is Pharisees. What are they? This is a group of people. It's a... It's a um, they're, they're not necessarily, um, they're, uh, what do I say? They're a devout group, and it's a grassroots movement, all right? And they're, the words literally mean they are pious ones, they are the separated ones. they got lots of rules for their structure of belief, and they have created a self-defined piety, right? And they are living life with an us versus them attitude, an us versus them. They're very separatistic because uh, if you're not like them, if you're not one of the like-minded people like them, you hear these, this cult language, right? Um, if, you didn't, if you didn't practice like they practiced and believed what they believed, and you weren't part of their group, you see, then you couldn't be among them, and they looked down upon people who weren't part of them. It's, part, it's the human condition. It's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. So they practice separations from those not like themselves, lest by being with people unlike them, they would become unclean, right? They would become stained and soiled uh, uh, by people 
uh, who were unclean, who weren't as good as them, who weren't like them. So because of their self-righteousness, you see, <laughs> they have no room for Jesus. No need for Jesus. I hear, I, I hear that. I second that. And Jesus is here, it says very, something very, very interesting. He says this. He says, he refers to himself as the son of man. He could have said the son of David. He could have used a couple other phrases, but he uses here the son of man. Why, you're asking? I'm going to tell you right now. All right? He uses that because he's going to hearken back to a 5th century prophet named Daniel, who uses that, introduces that phrase, the son of man, who points to God's deliverer. And that word, that term, that phrase, is free from any political overtones. All right? Because in the day Jesus is combating, or I shouldn't say combating, he's, he's avoiding a nationalistic movement in his day. That's what happens at the uh, triumphal entry. Uh, Hosanna, Hosanna. They want him to install the kingdom, get the Romans out. Right? And so he's just avoiding that. That's not his mission. He's not going there. And so he uses this, son of man, rather than the, the son of David along the way. How did the healed and forgiven man respond here? With joy and awe. How did the religious self-righteous respond to Jesus, healing and forgiving in their midst? Were they blown away by this? No, they were insulted, insulted by Jesus, that he would do this. How could he do this? How could he heal this person, forgive this person? Because from their perspective, they reject him because he doesn't fit their Jesus. He doesn't, their Messiah. This is what's going on. All right, this is what's going on. You want me to come back here? You guys got a few more minutes? All right, oh, hang on. Luke 5, 29 through 32. I'm going back to where I started. Jesus eats a meal with Levi and his friends. Is that up behind me right now? All right, good. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. He has strategically positioned it north of Galilee on a, a trade road where everybody must go. It's a thoroughfare. It's a poll tax, right? It's, you know, it's like getting to Massachusetts. You're going to pay. And so he's working for the Roman Empire, right? And he set himself up there, and he's, like, these guys would skim, right? So he's doing well. Um, follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors, the most hated people on the land, and other guests also ate with him. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Well, why do they air there at the party in the first place then? Right? You're that thinking. And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, you see that? But those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Because to share a meal in that day was uh, an extension of friendship and acceptance. It was a big important thing to do, and that's why it's a theme all the way through Luke. And the Pharisees, they're so, that's why they're so put off that Jesus is meeting with these kind of people. They would never associate with them. Never. Never be around these people, let alone sit at a meal that might, somebody might think, oh, you can't be with them because then people will think that you are like them, right? That's that they, 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 they would be guilty by, what was that? They, they would be guilty by association, right? So they don't want that. And... Jesus uses those, these, those meals, these meal times, 
with others as a place of fellowship and evangelism, discipleship and confrontation, right? The, the meal, the sitting down, the eating with others becomes a powerful place where God works in human hearts and in human minds and draws people to himself through Jesus. It's a powerful place, the meal. How did Levi respond to Jesus? Well, he followed. He celebrated. He invited his friends to come see Jesus too. Right? We sang earlier, it was a great song, people with broken lives. Jesus came to heal. So I say all that and I get to this point, which is this. So what? Right? So what? Well, here's the so what. Here's the warning for you and I. Is the warning for us is to not drift, and it is a drift, into an unchristlike attitude of us versus them. Uh, of self-righteousness. Man, it is a slow creep, a slow drift in that, in that direction. And that attitude, the self-righteousness, is, 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 is all in, human, in humanity is always an incubator for arrogance and prejudice. It's not about grace and gospel. And we, how do we drift in this way? We drift in this way, uh, we, it, look, you can look all over the world for it, uh, self-righteousness. It comes in political, doctrinal, cultural, education, classist. <laughs> Everybody's trying to feel better or be better than anyone, other people, right? And that tends to go ugly and unlike Christ. When Jesus is teaching his disciples, he gives them a warning and he says, do not be infected, what? By the yeast of the Pharisees. That yeast is self-righteousness. So here's the thing. We all need a doctor for our souls. The great physician is Jesus. That's why the prophet, uh, five centuries earlier, Jeremiah said, realize this, and he writes, I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn in an overcome with grief. Is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there no physician uh, there? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people, Jeremiah? And they're looking forward to a savior. Let me ask you a quick question before I go. And, and be honest in your mind. You don't have to yell this out. When do you go to the doctor? You say, I never do. Okay, I like that. When do you go to the doctor, though? You go, well, I don't. Okay, when do you go to the doctor? When do you go to a doctor? You go, hey, somebody goes, hey, uh, you, don't, you don't seem like you're doing okay there. You go, no, I, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm okay. I feel fine. You're, dude, your foot's pointing backwards. You go, oh, I'll fix it later. No, you won't. It's pointing backwards, right? You can't do that. What? When do you go to the doctor? When you admit your need, right? That's when we do, right? When we admit our need. When do we go to Jesus? When we admit our needs. And how needy are we? Eternally. Eternally in Jesus Christ. So here's a question that Luke would ask you, Luke chapter 5 would ask you, after you've read through Luke chapter 5, if he were standing here, he would want you to know, ask this to you. How are you responding to Jesus these days? How are you responding to Jesus these days? All right. You enjoy me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for your love and mercy in our lives. And we're so glad that you have called us to know you, to be made right uh, 